You're listening to Mountain Voices, the podcast brought to you by the UIAA, the International Climbing and Mountaineering Federation. In this podcast, we bring together voices from our world, from athletes competing in the ice climbing world tour, to scientists involved in high altitude research, to mountain guides talking everything from avalanche safety to Mount Everest. Welcome to our first series of Mountain Voices. Look how thin these holes are now. Bad feet as well. He's approaching. Hanging on one hand. Wow. Then he brings the face to ground and launches. And he sticks it. And there it is. The last round of the season. Swiss Air is in orbit. We're kicking off this series with a look into competition ice climbing. We're going to discuss what the sport is all about, how it differs from competition sport climbing, and more importantly, how you can get into it and follow the action. I'm Tarquin Cooper, and I've got three guests with me. I've got Rob Aidy, who is the event coordinator for the UIAA Ice Climbing World Tour uh, from Canada. We have the veteran climber, Gordon MacArthur, and we have the Irish climber, Ema McSwiggan. Welcome to you all. Hi, nice to be here. Hey, Tarquin. Hey, guys. So, Rob, why don't you start? Can you give us an overview of what the sport is all about? So competition ice climbing has been around since the early 2000s and the World Cup started in 2002, I believe. Um, They're generally hosted in a variety of different venues around the world from China, Korea, uh, Switzerland, France, Italy, and more recently in the US, uh, Canada, and also in uh, Russia uh, most of the time. Uh, The sport is generally made up of two disciplines, uh, lead or difficulty and speed. Speed is pretty much what it says on the tin. It's the fastest person up a big wall of ice, normally about 15 meters tall. There are two sub-disciplines within speed. One is what we deem as single speed, which is basically just the fastest athlete up the wall in any given race. And then dual speed is quite similar to the uh, sport climbing version of speed where the athletes race against each other. But because the ice can be sometimes different on each lane of the ice, it is the cumulative time of the two of the athletes on both lanes of the ice that counts. You know, that's basically like regular sport climbing, but with with tools and crampons on. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, difficulty is um, measured by the height of the athlete on the wall. So each hold has a score and... The higher the athlete gets, the more points they get. And ideally, if the root setters have got their jobs right, one or two athletes will make it to the top of the wall in any given round of the competition. We'll generally have two qualification routes, a semi-final route and a final route in any given World Cup. Yeah, it's uh, very similar to sport climbing, except it's way cooler because they're all climbing with sharp uh, sharp axes on their uh, in their hands and sharp crampons on their feet. But there's not actually much ice, is there, to the observer watching? And it's a great sport to watch for anyone um, who hasn't seen it already. Go check out the YouTube channel. But if you are, if you do come across it, it's basically dry tooling, isn't it? Yeah. So the sport evolved uh, from the early 2000s. The sport started on ice towers, man-made ice towers with kind of bits of paint painted on the ice to designate various zones that the athletes could climb between. Then as the athletes got stronger... Um, it became more and more difficult to make overhanging ice features that were difficult enough to to kind of split the the athletes. And so the sport evolved into more of a, and also as the sport evolved um, on the in the mountains, you no know, mixed climbing kind of came about in, uh, in in kind of the early 2000s as well. And as that sport evolved, the the competition side of things evolved with it, um, and it evolved into more of a mixed climbing, dry touring style that we have today. 
but still the, the, you have some ice on on routes don't you Absolutely, yeah. We kind of a lot of the routes start on ice, and then uh, there'll be hanging ice blocks or you know various areas of hand-packed ice, and it varies from structure to structure and from venue to venue, doesn't it? I mean, you've got the the European scene where it's perhaps a little bit more um, dry tooling predominant, but obviously in in other places like Korea, for example, there's more ice, or in, in some of the French venues as well. Yeah, I mean the French the French and the, and the Italian venues um, are always traditionally very icy because they are up in the mountains, so they they have the the cold weather or normally have the cold weather to uh, make the ice uh, blocks and pack the ice onto the uh, structure and that quite often the ice gets packed on by hand or using uh, snow cannons Rob, one last question the an overview of of the different tours you've got the world tour and the european tour where does the sport take place so we have a a series of uh, world cup events and a biannual world championship and an annual world youth championship and those events take take place across the world. Um, for example, this season we have events in Korea, France, Switzerland, and Canada. And then below that we have a full series of continental level of events, which are predominantly based in Europe, but we are kind of slowly expanding into Asia and uh, North America as well. Um, and they tend to be more, you know, like you say, the more dry tooling style, um, using existing gyms or outdoor uh, facilities climbing facilities um, around Europe and the US. Rob, stay with us, but let's talk to our athletes now. Let's bring on um, Ema. Hi, Ema. Um, now, you've been climbing for over a decade, and interestingly, you got into the sport in Korea. Could you tell us how you discovered ice climbing? Hi, Tarquin. Yeah, so it was ice climbing is something I never really knew about, and I moved to South Korea in 2010. I was, you know, looking for hobbies to do, and I found rock climbing. I found a course on rock climbing, and I started rock climbing, and I, I just loved it immediately. And then in Korea, I think anybody who does rock climbing, they also do some ice climbing as well. So very quickly, I was introduced to ice climbing, and, you know, my the first time I went out, and I saw a frozen waterfall. I was just, I was mesmerized by it. I, I didn't know this sort of thing existed in nature at all, you know, coming from Ireland. And I started ice climbing then. And the Ice Climbing World Cup was coming to Korea in 2011. And I went along just to sort of support the gym that I had joined and the members there and see what it was about. And, you know, I think we were, I was at the venue five minutes and suddenly I was roped up myself and I was put on this little beginner wall for ice climbing. And then, you know, I saw the competitive side of it and I somehow found myself back there at the World Cup two years later, actually competing for Ireland. So, you know, I was quite late starting the sport, you know, but I fell in love with it immediately. And I fell in love with the community as well. Um, and just the challenge and the places it's brought me since. Uh, it's been amazing. You know, it's it kind of almost took over my life for, for quite a good few years. And what uh, is it the... about what is it about the sport that that you fell in love with? Um I just, you know, I, I loved rock climbing when I started it. And then, you know, ice climbing is an extension of that. And the competitive ice climbing, it's just, you know, um, it's the challenge. It's the movement. It's such uh it's such a great way to to move. Like dry chilling is something I know gets 
a lot of bad press at times, but I think I really encourage everyone just, you know, to give it a go. The competition, the venues that you go to are quite amazing. And um, although there's not a lot of ice there, you know, the, the roots of it are ice climbing and um, it's physically very demanding. It's mentally very challenging. I think that that's a big part of it that competing at the, at the especially at the World Cup level, you yeah you can the nature of the sport is that regardless of how well you've trained sometimes it doesn't go your way and you know you could be nervous you could have have low falls and but when it does go well and you climb a route and you do your best and and everything works out it's it's the most amazing feeling and I think the community is very special as well is it a sport is it a sport that is friendly to it that is female friendly that women can do well in Oh, for sure. I think that's one thing, you know, that we've seen a lot of the women can climb as 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 well as the men. And, you know, sometimes in the World Cup situation that we would be climbing qualification routes the same as the men. And it's it's great to see the women doing well. And yeah, I think it's it's a sport and it's a sport for everyone. You know, I'm kind of proof that I, I wasn't that young when I started it. And but just with a lot of time and dedication, you know, I was able to do quite well at it. So. Yeah, I'm always trying. Thanks, Ema. Um, Gordon, I'm sure you agree with with much of what um, Ema's just said there. Um, you've you've kind of tried to retire a few times, haven't you? What what keeps you in the game? Uh, that's a very interesting question that my wife asks me every year when I join back in. I would say there's a few aspects to this sport that just keeps driving me to keep going. Um, the first one would be the people. Uh, the community that the sport has formed has been forever my probably favorite thing about um competitive ice climbing um i've been able to form a lot of relationships that will last a lifetime all around the world and and that uh camaraderie for me is just absolutely top priority and then beyond that like emer was talking about the sheer physicality of the sport and, and what the movement demands it's ever evolving and um i have just personally loved that challenge since the very beginning and what i've learned is that it never ends which is cool about climbing in general is that you can be as strong as you want, but you're never, you've never reached the end. There's always more to learn. There's always more to gain and there's always new challenges. And like Ema was also saying, sometimes things don't go well. And if you can transform that experience into motivation and use it as fire to to keep going, um, it's it's basically never ending. And, you know, somebody asked me the other day, like, you know, you're a little older now and, and, and what drives you? And it's like, it's still, I'm still capable. I'm still, it's still possible to, to be a thing in my life. And so um, it, that, what's beautiful about it is you can be at any age, as long as you're physically in a position that you can do it, then, then why the heck not? Do good sport climbers make good competition ice climbers? Are the skills transferable? I would say, um, yes, that, that possibility is there. Uh, I think what's sort of beneath that is a sport climber's ability to move well. Uh, you know, there's a lot of sport climbers out there that uh, might be pretty good, but um, they just don't move as well. Whereas somebody who moves naturally well can transfer it right over to ice climbing. And we've seen that with a few competitors over the years. And even people that I've taken out into the mountains, you know, I had a climber friend who was, you know, a 514 climber and he climbed one of the hardest routes in the world, I think on his third day on tools, just because he naturally understood how to move. And so it, it's for sure possible. Yeah. How do the sports differ? Uh, well, firstly, you don't have sharp things attached to you <laughs> in sport climbing. Uh, I think that's probably the biggest thing that creates um, uncertainty. You know, when you're rock climbing, you can feel the hold under your fingers and your 
your feet, um, you, you know what's happening. Whereas like with tools, yeah, there is a sense of feel, but it's not quite um, the same. And so I think the insecurity of sharp things flying through the air when you're trying to move is the biggest difference. And what probably makes people a bit more nervous about, you know, mix and ice and competitive dry tooling versus, you know, sport climbing. But you can just put your feet anywhere, unlike sport climbing. Yeah, it, it's that's an interesting point that I've thought about a lot lately is that, yes, you can, but it still takes a lot of experience to know where to put them. Um, you know, like in sport climbing, sport climbing is a, a hint more obvious because there's more often than not obvious footholds, whereas uh, in competitive mixed climbing, you know, you have to know where to put your foot. And um, and that takes a lot of experience. So it can actually make it a little bit harder than sport climbing, for sure. You mentioned the sharp pointy things. Um, do you ever hurt yourself? Um, you know, never in the difficulty, but I did stab myself in the leg and speed. And that was sort of like my one and done. Um, we were in Romania and I think I was in the semifinal and I had no idea what I was doing other than I had to go fast. And then it was like the weather had turned and it got really warm. And so the ice wall turned into like this slush wall and I ripped my ice axe probably three feet, you know, through the ice and then straight into my thigh. And um, that's required a lot of stitches. And that was sort of my speed career done. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll come to speed a little bit later. Ema, have you ever come unstuck or hurt yourself? Um, well, actually, so similar to Gordon, it was the one time I was speed climbing and I managed to like um, uh, kick myself in the back of the cab with one cramp on. So that was a very short career in speed climbing. <laughs> Um, but in lead climbing, you do take little knocks and falls, but yeah, nothing, nothing too serious. I suppose another difference with the sport is that you're taking part in some pretty challenging locations. I mean, for the most part, you know, sport climbing will be often, you know, indoor venues, whereas with the ice climbing venues, it it is actually cold. It is ice cold. Um, what's it like, you know, where it might be, you know, minus 10 and you've got to perform at the, the top of your ability? Well, it depends on the venue. If you've got a if you've got a good warm isolation area, you know you can prepare well, um, before you climb. Um, and you know if that's not a possibility, you're wearing very thin gloves to start with. We normally wear like really thin golf gloves, um, just so you have better dexterity, um, and grip with the tools. So you can get really cold. Um, and you know there's sometimes there's a point in. You just maybe don't feel your hands and you just have to keep moving and just trust that they're going to hold on to the axes and just, yeah, so there is, but I, 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 I really like the cold. I, I think there's nothing like better than stepping out and, you know, that kind of coldness really just, it sharpens the mind. And when you're, you're setting off to climb, it's, it's a, it's a really good way to, to kind of get your nerves at bay and, and get moving. You do see some climbers actually deliberately make their hands cold uh, before a climb, which just seems like insane to actually deliberately bring on uh, the hot takes. Good. Do you ever do that? Yeah, I learned that uh, in Russia, actually. My first time in Russia, we were climbing in minus 40 Celsius, and um, it was awful. I mean, at the same time, like Imra was saying, it was actually quite exciting. Um, but uh, it was actually um, Hyung Park in Russia that showed me that trick. Um, he's obviously a veteran green climber. Uh, basically, he'd show me to stick my hands into the snow and take them out and and basically invoke the screaming barfies. And it was this magical thing where, like, for me, once I've had it once, I don't get it again. And so once I learned that little trick, it was it was fine. So, yeah. 
Do you guys have a, a favorite venue or a favorite moment from your career? I mean, I would say that's a hard question because there's a lot of favorite moments. Favorite venue would will always be uh, Romania for me. I mean, it's long past, but back in the day, it was just such a neat experience. Um, the structure was really cool. The atmosphere was always awesome. Um, I think a, a sort of a successful moment for me would have been the Bozen World Cup. Um, I had a lot of success there and it was very exciting and the crowd was electric. So it kind of gives me something. I mean, even like with Denver, Denver was probably the best World Cup I've ever been to. Um, there was over 10,000 people screaming the reins out. Um, and so I think looking forward to Edmonton, I think we can expect, you know, a lot of electric environment. Ema, what about you? Is there a moment in your 13 year career uh, competing that gives you a warm glow when you look back and think about yeah, it? Yeah, there's plenty of moments, Tarquin. Um, and I think talking about the venues as well, I think what's special about ice climbing is all the venues are completely different and the wall structures are different. Like Chung Sung's very special to me in Korea because, you know, that's where I started climbing and that's where I've trained and it feels like home. Um, then, you know, we have Champagne and Rabenstein and the structure are kind of almost space age you know these kind of weird shapes um structures with a lot of ice and and a lot of things going on and you know maybe the best moment for me was denver as well in 2019 and i finished um third overall that season so it was my best result you know ever and it was just in front of this amazing crowd in a downtown venue so i think it's special yeah they're all the venues have have something about them does each region have a different style like for example switzerland it's all stone holds or korea it's more kind of resin or, or shiny metal holds can you give us a kind of a, a bit of an overview on how the styles differ from region to region they, there's definitely a different style, you know, with the root setting and even the climbing style. Like I think the Asian countries and Korea in particular, it's a very kind of a flow, the roots and the roots are very long and it's all about the movement and keeping the movement going. It's almost, you know, kind of to be stereotypical, it's almost like a martial art form. So I can kind of see that. And then the Russian style, like it can be quite powerful and you quite have a, like maybe a lot of aggressive like stein holes and under holes and, and moves. And then, you know, the Swiss, it's all about precision. They really love hard technical stone holes that will just spit you off really, really quickly. So, yeah. And then, you know, these days where we have the styles, we've root setters from different countries collaborating. So there's always new things every year, new moves. Dinos are now a big thing in the sport. Um, so it's, it's always something new. Now, you mentioned um, Steinholds. That's something unique to to ice climbing. What about some of those other kind of moves in ice climbing? Anyone who's watched any of the videos, you'll see these figure of fours. Gord, can you explain what, what they're all about? Yeah, I think that's probably what's drawn me to this sport and dry training in general is that the physicality of the movement is so gymnastic-like. You know, obviously, like Emer was talking about, every venue has a different style of setting. And now you're starting to see a collaboration between setters you know, Switzerland, I've found to be very bouldery and almost sport climbing like, um, whereas like Imer said, Russia has always been that really powerful technical um, try hard. And then with Korea, the, the martial arts style of flow and, and with our bodies, um, things like figure fours and the transitions in and out of that movement. Uh, I just I love how they're taking the movement that we know, which can be kind of simple in it of itself, but then exploiting it in new ways and forcing you to be creative with that simple movement. 
um, it's evolving in that sense with the centers and how they're collaborating. Um, you know, my personal favorite hall has always been, you know, a mix of the Korean and the Russian. And um, we're going to see that actually in Edmonton, which is really, really exciting because one of the setters, uh, Nathan Kutcher, he has spent a lot of time studying under the Russians. And uh, I think we're going to see a really neat collaboration and exciting movement. Great stuff. Can you just explain what a figure of four is and when you would do one? Yeah. So the figure four is when you take your opposite leg and wrap it around your opposite arm, generally in the wrist area. And, and what that does is it gives you a height advantage. It's kind of like high stepping in a way. Um, you know, there's often times with a really long move that we can't reach no matter how strong you are. But by wrapping your leg over your arm, you can sort of press up off of your arm using the underside of your leg which gives you a really big height advantage. Now, Rob, um, we, we mentioned dinos. Obviously, they weren't around when the sport began 20-odd years ago. They obviously add a, a massive new dimension, don't they, too, if you're watching it, whether in person or online. It must be just massively spectacular. Yeah, absolutely. The, the sport has evolved even in the time that I've been involved for the last, I've been involved for seven seasons now, and I've seen the sport evolve massively over the, the last few seasons uh, with the root setting and also what the athletes are capable of. The athletes are so much stronger, so much more uh, physically able, and they train so much harder um, now as, as almost like professional athletes um, that they are. And you know, they're capable of some absolutely phenomenal moves, whether it's dinos or kind of huge moves off under undercook holds. Um, yeah, absolutely fantastic to watch both in person and on the live stream. And the events can be won and lost on the dyno, can't they? Like we saw recently in, in Sasfe with the world champion Luna Ladovar failing on a dyno. Yeah, it's uh, the event in Sasfe this past weekend uh, was uh, was a bit unpredictable. Um, some of the hot favourites went out in the semifinals and then we lost a couple of the, the super favourites in the finals. But it led to a great final with uh, with Virgil Devan taking his first uh, World Cup win. And uh, Wun Son Shin uh, just showing what an absolute master of the sport she is by uh, taking her second World Cup win of the season. What attributes do you need to be really good at this sport? I mean, I think Ema and, and Gordon have covered quite a few of them already, but I think it's being able to perform at your best in the face of adversity, whether that adversity is minus 20 or plus 15 and rain at the same venue in the same weekend. <laughs> Which is what we've had over over the over the past few seasons. It is incredible how the the weather can change dramatically. You know, we've had thirty degree Celsius weather swings in a in a single weekend, and that's really difficult for athletes to plan for, to train for, and to be able to perform at the elite level that they are and under those conditions and adapt from one day to the next is is kind of one of the key attributes of being a competitive ice climber. What have been the biggest changes that you've seen in, in the seven years you've been involved in the sport? I think uh, from my side, when, when I arrived in the sport, it was quite different to where it is today. Uh, there was a lot of kind of uncertainty with the sport. Athletes could could rock up to competitions and not know whether they were climbing one qualification route or two, whether that would be on-site or flash. Um, it was it was a lot down to kind of, you know, the, kind of what was happening with the individual organiser on the day. Um, so I think we've, we've put a lot of new kind of rules in place and new new standards in place to allow the athletes to prepare better and also to make the events more predictable, but also more more exciting. People can tune in to watch the live stream or turn up in person to watch, uh, to spectate, and know, they know what to expect. Um, they know they're going to have a fantastic evening. 
uh, watching some fantastic ice climbing and you know, the events, the, the venues themselves, the new venues that have been coming on. Now we had Denver in 2019, like Emer uh, and Gordon have already said, was to me was like, it blew my mind. It was like, this is the future of, of ice climbing. We have our traditional venues in the mountains, like in, in Chongsong or Saspe or, or Ravenstein. But then, yeah, seeing seeing that uh, event with kind of 10,000 people at the final, all going absolutely crazy for uh, for the athletes. You know, watching Yannick Gotard front flip off the off the top of the structure was like my highlight of, of, of my of my career so far absolutely brilliant to see that happen happen and that i hope is what we're going to have again in the future starting with edmonton in two weeks time world championships in canada and we have more urban venues lined up for 2025 so it's going to be even more exciting a reminder that you can watch any of those videos from the live streams there on our YouTube channel. Just search for at UIAA. Every climb, every fall, every medal. Subscribe to the UIAA YouTube channel to follow exclusive content from the UIAA Ice Climbing World Tour, partnered by Outdoor Research. So we've talked mostly about um, about lead climbing. Let's talk um, a little bit about uh, speed, the other aspect. Rob, you mentioned this at the beginning. Um, it's just like it says on the tin. It's just an out-and-out out race uh, against the clock. Uh, maybe it's in, in, uh, as well against someone else. Um, but it's actually, this is on ice, isn't it? It's, it's properly on ice. Yeah, so the speed event is always competed on ice. Um, it's an absolutely fantastic element of the sport. It's been very interesting over the last few seasons because uh, the sport was and has been for the, for quite a long time been heavily dominated by the Russian athletes. Uh, they have structures to train on, which a lot of the other uh, athletes don't have structures to train on. And more importantly, because of the weather in Russia, they have structures to train on early i.e. they have ice to train on from kind of October, November, which gives them a huge advantage. Uh, we should, we should, Russians haven't, sorry. sorry, I was just going to say, we, we, we should mention that uh, you follow the IOC guidelines, don't you? So the Russians don't compete at the moment. Yeah, so the last uh, two seasons, the Russians haven't been involved in the sport. Um, and it's brought a really interesting dynamic to the speed competition. Uh, I think we have a, a lot of athletes competing in speed that wouldn't normally compete in speed. And it's been really interesting seeing some athletes in, in a mere matter of comps, known small number of comps, going from complete beginners to really fast, um, which has been really exciting to see. Now, the equipment is completely different. And as well, that the style of climbing is, is totally different to, you know, regular ice climbing. Even if you're, you know, seasoned ice climber, the, the skill is, is, is different. Can you give a, a little explainer on, on just the equipment and also the, the style of climbing? Yeah, so the, the athletes tend to use flat-braided crampons rather than the razor-sharp uh, single-point crampons that they do in lead. Uh, so the flat-braided dual dual point crampons and then for their axes they tend to use what they call ice fifis which again i think were event developed by the russians um, which is basically a small handle with a very sharp hook on the end so rather than swinging or, or kind of swinging at the ice like you would if you're conventional uh on a conventional ice climbing route they're just purely hooking their way up the route as fast as possible and it's a it's very similar to sport climbing it's a running style um Although within in sport climbing, it's more of a learned set, a learned kind of muscle memory set of maneuvers. Whereas in ice climbing, it tends to be more of a um, a kind of a running style, picking your holds as you go. So the athletes tend to go, they go very fast. You no know, kind of times of kind of sub seven seconds for a fifteen meter wall are not uncommon. 
um but it's it's very uh kind of it's 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 quite different to the sport carding style now i've run my thumb over one of those picks and they are razor sharp um athletes do hurt themselves from time to time don't they unfortunately yes it's something that we're working on on the safety side of things uh, potential safety uh, protection and the athletes are helping us to develop protection for the arms the legs the hands uh, but yeah at, at the moment kind of uh, if the if your technique isn't absolutely perfect sometimes you do end up with a with a with a sharp pick in in your arm or your or, or your leg um, the picks generally tend to be so sharp that they're generally small puncture wounds as opposed to kind of large gashes or anything like that. Um, but they do occasionally, you get the odd um, uh, spurt of blood on the ice, which isn't very pleasant. We had we had one American girl in South Bay a couple of years ago. She was she lowered down off her roots and kind of uh, said, oh, Rob, there's, there's ice, there's blood all over the ice. You need to get that cleaned up. And I was like, yes, Lauren, it's yours. <laughs> and she hadn't noticed she'd stabbed mm-hmm. herself at all. Yeah. Gord, how was it for you? Did you recover pretty quickly from your uh, your puncture wound? I mean, you know, like <laughs> it's funny because the you know the Romanian um, culture. They, I mean, they're amazing, and uh, they were on me right away. I mean, everyone actually saw me do it, and I felt it instantly. And so they lowered me pretty quick, and they were very, very responsive to get me sewn up. Um, so yeah, it, I mean, speed climbing. It's it's actually a pretty amazing thing to watch, and you know, going back to Denver when the World Cup was downtown, um, there was almost a bigger crowd at the speed qualifiers than there was during the finals of the lead. Uh, it's just so mesmerizing. Like people love fast, people love head to head, people love something that's being timed, and um, and you know, when people come off, uh, the crowd has a big like, oh. You know, it's a very reactive thing. And so um, I think that once you learn proper technique, the the stabbings um, sort of become minimal, which is cool. So in, in my case, I did not have technique. I just went as fast as I could. Um, but I, I would say, like, for the viewers, like, it's actually a pretty controlled sport once you learn how to move. And, you know, it's very different, isn't it? Sometimes you the, you see some athletes actually hooking from the side. It's not over their head. They're actually just kind of almost like crabs going up the side. Is that right? Yeah, so that's a definite, like, probably more popular technique. It also depends on the, the ice features. Um, a lot of times the ice um, doesn't really offer that, uh, depending on venue to venue. But I would say generally that enables better movement. But at the same time, it's a little bit of a safer technique as well. Because when you go straight up and down, if your ice tool rips, that's when it goes into your thigh. Whereas side to side, you're not going to stab your legs. I remember last year, uh, the Iranian climber, Mohammad Reza Safdarian, he he injured himself, but still managed to uh, continue competing throughout the lead and, and speed events, which was pretty heroic, really. Yeah, I mean, he's a tough cookie. Uh, and he's also a very good climber. So uh, like Emer had talked about, part of the adversity of competing is getting through things like that. And shy of it being unsafe with bleeding out too much, <laughs> um, most athletes will push through because it's such an exciting electric environment that you don't want to miss out on anything, really. Rob, I, am I right in thinking that you you are considering protection? There's been a lot of conversations going on about thigh protection and other things, uh, you know, protection over the over the wrists. Yeah, I mean, it's something we're developing at the moment and we're working with the athletes to try and develop something that doesn't restrict movement, but also protects. It's kind of difficult because we need something that is 
uh, cut proof, like a potentially like a, a chef or a butcher would use for um, for cutting meat, but also stab proof, like something like a police officer would wear for stab protection. So we need like a, a funny combination of both. So finding that, that that perfect material that provides that protection and also the flexibility of the athletes to move um, has been quite difficult. So we're, we're testing various things at the moment, and then hopefully within the next couple of seasons, we we could see mandatory protection protection coming in. So Ema, speed speed was not for you? Um, well, to be honest, Tarquin, I'm kind of known to be quite a slow late climber, so speed was kind of never really in the radar for me. Um, but I do, I, like, I, I really admire the climbers who can do both because they... They're also going to a very tight schedule, you know, that if they're competing in lead and speed and, and the same weekend. And, you know, I think it's it is like I've trained a little bit in speed, but the technique is really hard to get. So when you see someone climbing well and they're very adaptable, you know, every speed wall is different. Um, and to be able to deal with that, um, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a great part of the sport. Just just not for me. It's it's a totally different sport, isn't it? It is completely. Yeah, it is. Um, it's you know, it's like a marathon runner or uh, like a hundred meter sprinter. It's very different. Hey, I'm Luna Ladeva, ice climbing world champion and professional climber for France. And uh, what I love about climbing is uh, the diversity of stuff you can do and um, the challenge it brings, and uh, also the community around climbing and mountaineering is um, really amazing people are so motivated all around the world and um, yeah that's that's what makes it so special i think so um rob um a few years ago i seem to remember that there were some discussions about um the sport being recognized by the olympics can you give an update on on where um ice climbing is with the olympics so ice climbing has been recognized for by the IOC as a, as a recognized sport for quite a few years now. Um, and it's always been at the back of everyone's mind really as to kind of like hope that the hope that uh, ice climbing would join the Winter Olympics one day. Um, obviously, sport climbing has very successfully joined the Summer Olympics and uh, they, they've had a great success with uh, their event in Tokyo. Um, and then uh, they will again this summer, I'm sure, with uh, in Paris. Um, and it was recently announced uh, that the, although it's not confirmed yet, that the Winter Olympics in 2030 will most likely go to France. And then the 2034 um, Olympics will potentially go to the USA. Um, and that presents the UIA with a fantastic opportunity to potentially get ice climbing into the, into the Winter Olympics uh, because the French um, Federation, FFCAM, um, and also the French athletes have always been at the top of the sport in terms of, well, over the last few seasons anyway, have been always been with the Radovan brothers and Marianne Thomas and and uh, Virgil Devan and Nathan Clare. Um, they've been incredibly strong, very high in the rankings. And the the French uh, Mountaineering Federation have always been great supporters of the of the sports running the events in uh, in Champagny. Um, so over the last few months, we've been working really closely with with them, and they've been working very closely with the French Sport Ministry and the uh, what will be the potential French uh, host organising committee of the 2030 Winter Olympics. Um, so we're hoping that in next season we will have uh, members of that committee once it's formed officially, uh, once the uh, games are confirmed for France. 
um, come and visit some of our events, um, see what our sport is like. Um, they, the French Federation have already made a video, an explainer video, um, doing uh, with interviews with a lot of the French feder- French athletes, the French Federation, uh, myself, some of the route setters, uh, which was all made a couple of weekends ago in Champigny. Um, so that's going to be sent to the organisers. So yeah, it, it's uh, we have a, a window of opportunity that uh, we've not had before in terms of a very strong ice climbing nation also being the host of the of the of an upcoming olympics uh which is absolutely fantastic news so it will probably take another year or so before we know uh exactly what's going on but uh things at the moment are looking very promising fantastic stuff a great time to be in the sport a great time to take up the sport a final question we're, we're coming to to the end here um gordon what would be your advice to someone uh thinking of taking up the sport who knows maybe there's a, an olympic future ahead of them um yeah i think the first bit of advice i would give is don't be afraid to try it um you'll you'll be surprised how much fun you're gonna have um and and embrace embrace the environments enjoy the the cultures and um and get after it ema yeah i think just same as gordon you know find out where you can do dry tooling in your country reach out to any of the athletes in the world cup circuit you know, we all, we want more people in the sport and we kind of want to share it. So, um, yeah, just get out there. If you can find somewhere where you can try it out. Yeah, please do. Fantastic. Well, we'll leave it there for our first episode. Big thanks to all our guests, the climbers, Ema McSwiggan and Gordon MacArthur and from the UIAA, Rob Ady. A reminder, you can watch all the action on our YouTube channel um, from the series. And we hope you enjoyed uh, the podcast. We've got upcoming episodes on Everest, avalanches, and we try to answer that important question, do women make safer mountaineers? Don't miss out. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you and goodbye. Mountain Voices is a podcast series from the International Climbing and Mountaineering Federation, presented and produced by Tarquin Cooper, co-produced by Peter Bourne and edited by Tom Tushaw.